Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is True News, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today's Thursday, February 1st, 2024. The next phase of World War III appears to be ready to explode in the Middle East as Israeli citizens have been warned to stockpile food and water and prepare for electricity blackouts. Furthermore, CBS News reported that President Biden has ordered the Pentagon to strike targets in Syria and Iraq. Before we talk about the Middle Eastern theater in the Third World War, let's first catch up on the latest World War III news in the European theater. We'll start with this Ukrainian news report about Victoria Nuland's recent visit to Ukraine. And as you see this headline, Newland says Putin to get some nice surprises on the battlefield. So, Doc, our our sweetheart of war, Victoria Newland. Yes. The the, the woman who boasted that that um, Nord Stream 2 would not would not last. Right. That something bad was was going to happen to war to to. To the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipelines. And it L- happened. Like she knew it in advance. And she said that she had just had conversations with her German counterparts, which means that the Germans knew also. So she said something bad's going to happen to the Nord Stream pipeline, and it did. Right. Last night, as she prepared to leave Kiev, Ukraine, she said Putin is going to get some nice surprises on the battlefield. Here's the video of Victoria Newland. I have to say that I leave Kiev tonight uh, more encouraged about the unity and the resolve uh, about 2024 and its absolute strategic importance for Ukraine. Uh, I also leave more confident that uh, even as Ukraine strengthens its defenses, uh, Mr. Putin's going to get some nice surprises on the battlefield and that Ukraine will make some very strong success this year. She's absolutely giddy about it. She is. I'm just goosebumps all over her body. Just excitement about that. She is disgusting. She is a disgusting war pig. I don't know what else to call her. She's a war pig. I want her to get her nose, get her snoot out of this country. I don't want your wars, Victoria. Look, she played a major role in starting this war in Ukraine 10 years ago. Oh, yes. In 2014. Victoria Newland and John McCain went to, went to Ukraine to stir up a revolution. And they got the revolution. 
and they got a Nazi government in, and now they have a war. And that Nazi government started attacking Russian-speaking people in eastern Ukraine, and that prompted a response from Russia. Yes. The whole reason that that woman right there is the whole reason yes. we have a she's, war. With she's Russia a war right pig. I don't know what else to say anymore. I'm, I'm I'm just tired of being polite and nice about it. They're war pigs, and I'll just hundreds of thousands, millions of people die. Because of people like her. And as you said, Doc, she's, she's, she's giddy. She's excited. She, she can't hold back her excitement. Something bad's going to happen to the Russian troops very soon. She can't wait. She smiled when she forecasted the destruction of the uh, Russian pipeline. She was smiling and almost laughing in this video about what's going to happen to uh, Russia and Putin. Well, the, we the sad thing is that... One of these days, something's going to happen to us because of her. Yes. Just keep that in mind, folks. Because of people like Victoria Newland, something horrible is going to happen to you and me in this country. So the next story on World War III, this is out of Newsweek. Russian supersonic missile armed uh, Corvette destroyed in Crimea. So uh, the Ukrainians are saying today that they sank a Russian ship off the coast of Crimea. It says Ukrainian forces destroyed a Russian supersonic missile-armed corvette in strikes on Annex Crimea on Wednesday, uh, delivering a blow to the Russian Black Sea fleet. Now, you're seeing a video right now that was released by the Ukrainian military claiming that this is the Russian warship, and this is actual video from the uh, the drone that went in for the strike. And you'll see the ship being blown up. Um, again, Doc, you know, the weapons used to sink the Russian warship came from the West. Yes. Now, another story. This is of Reuters. Um, we've not talked about this story. This happened last week. Not, there was a plane that got shot down, a Russian plane carrying, I think, 76 Ukrainian prisoners of war. As a, a prisoner exchange was going on. And so Russia was going to exchange prisoners of war with Ukraine. And when the plane left Russia, moments later, it was shot down. And... Um, the Russians have been saying that the Ukrainians shot it down. They said, we don't know why it was shot down. It had the passengers were Ukrainian soldiers. Right. Why would you shoot it down? Today, Putin and, and Putin himself said this. He said that the Ukrainians used a U.S. Patriot missile system to shoot down the Russian plane. Doc, that's getting really close to pointing at Washington Yes. And saying, you shot down one of our planes. Now, there were Russians on the plane because there were Russian pilots and crew, officials, military transport, transporting prisoners of war. But this wasn't a secret flight. This, this was part of an official prisoner yes. exchange that was going on. So both sides knew that there was a plane that had Ukrainian POWs on it. And the Russians said that they notified the Ukrainians when the plane took off. So... There was an official notification that the aircraft has 
has uh, taken off. It's in the air, and then suddenly it came down. But what I want you to see is today Putin pointed his finger at the Pentagon yes. and said, the U.S. military gave Ukraine the Patriot missile that was used to shoot down our aircraft over Russian territory. Yes, that and that's the key part. Right over there. Russian territory. So again, put yourself in, flip this around to understand it better. If a U.S. Department of Defense, say Army transport plane, was shot down over North Carolina by a group, let's say in Cuba. Okay. And the Cubans got their missile from Russia. What would be the news headlines here today? Russian supply weapons that, that you know, that caused the And strike. what would Lindsey Graham be saying? Bomb Russia. They would dig up McCain and get him to set up in the cemetery to say bomb Russia. So if that's our response, then what would be the response of the Russian people today about the United States? Obviously, they're saying at some point we have to attack the United States. Folks, the the more the stuff continues, the more we allow these these war pigs like Newland to just run around and start trouble, the greater is the likelihood that you and I are, if we survive it, are going to be standing in rubble. If we survive it, we're going to be standing in rubble saying, why did we allow people like Victoria Newland? How did this happen? How, yes. How yeah, did this it happen? came out of the blue? That's what most of the people, the survivors will say. We didn't see it coming. Well, we did. I, I can see where this is going. Well, in uh, this, in the Reuters article, President Putin directly said the plane was down, and it's been definitively established by an American Patriot system. The expert analysis has already established that. So this is a head of state accusing another nation of using the equipment. To down their plane. That's right. Which is an act of war. They have every right to say it's an act of war. The same way we would have the right to say it's an act of war. I mean, the U.S. is saying that the the drone that killed the American soldiers in Jordan last weekend Mm -hmm. was made by Iran. That's the excuse they're making. That's what Reuters says. Okay, isn't that. it the same thing? It's the very same thing. So we're getting ready to attack Iranian targets to punish them for supplying a drone to a third-party group to attack an American military base that killed American soldiers. That's the logic we're using. There's the logic. Iran, you built the drone. You supplied the drone. Therefore, we're going to bomb you. Putin said today... The Pentagon supplied the missile that shot down our plane. The Pentagon gave the missile to Ukraine. The Ukrainians shot down our plane. So if you want to make the argument that we have the right to strike Iran because of the supposed drone strike on uh, the base in in Jordan, you'd have to make the same argument that Russia has that same right, too. And they believe that. 
That's the point I want you to understand. The Russians believe it, just like our officials believe that we are justified in attacking Iran. And we're going to get to Iran here very soon. Next, uh, I'm going to go to the Middle East. There's, there's a lot happening today. Amen, yes. And it's, it's still in motion. It's, it's, uh, uh, I'm going to give you my, my initial analysis of what I think is happening. It may change here in the next couple hours. By tomorrow, it may be a different – we may see it differently. I'm, I just see today a lot of activity taking place. So uh, Haratz reporting Hezbollah reveals advanced missile strikes and intel sortie over Iron Dome battery. So we just watched a video put out by the Ukrainians saying, hey, here's our drone going through the water. It's our torpedo drone. Uh, and uh, this video is a, is a, a – a Russian warship, and we sank it. So Hezbollah revealed, they, they released a video today of showing one of their drones flying directly to an Israeli radar station. Yes. Now watch this. This is the Israeli radar station. This is the, the drone re- uh, video released by Hezbollah today. Simply to say, look what we can do. Yes. This is how close we can get to Israeli military targets. Uh, So it says, uh, last week, a new anti-tank missile was officially and publicly unveiled when the Lebanese organization documented an attack against two IDF intelligence facilities on the border. The uh, Cornet is a laser-guided missile that needs direct light line of sight to its target in order to reach it. Uh, conversely, the almost one diamond anti-tank guided missile has advanced capabilities, which enable it to be launched at a target outside the direct line of sight of the operator. Uh, so th- this is the uh, supposedly the missile. And uh, what Haratz is reporting here today is that the Israelis now have evidence, compliments of Hezbollah, of saying, you guys start fighting with us. We're going to show you how close we've already been. Right. We were there and you didn't know it. Our drones have been flying around your installations and you didn't even know it. Now, the next thing that I see here, uh, this is number 10. Hamas demands withdrawal from Gaza for hostage deal. This is this just was published today. Hamas demands withdrawal of the IDF from Gaza in return for a deal to release the hostages. I saw this headline about 15 minutes after a friend of mine in the Middle East told me today that he was given information that that the IDF has withdrawn troops from northern and southern Gaza. And most of them from central Gaza. They have left the Gaza Strip. I, no confirmation. Just this is information he was given. Right. About 15 minutes later, I see this. Hamas demands withdrawal 
from Gaza for the hostage deal. If my friend is correct, if the information he's been given is correct, then the deal has already been made. Israel and Hamas have already, if, if he's correct, if the information he was given is correct, then the deal has already been made. This newspaper article is actually in, inferring the deal has not been made. Right. And that the demand is all Israeli troops leave Gaza. My friend is telling me that his sources in Gaza are telling him the troops have already left, which says Netanyahu has approved a deal. Whatever was worked out by Secretary Blinken and the, the people in Qatar and Saudi Arabia, they have a deal. So this is part of that three-phase ceasefire that we were yes. talking about yesterday. Yes, that it's underway right now, and Hamas will then release the hostages. Israel will release prisoners. But this is what I see developing, Doc, is Netanyahu is planning to go after – he's planning to go after Hezbollah in Lebanon. He's not done with war. He's not worn out. He, he's, he's juiced up for war. He's got to get out of, out of Gaza. Right, because you've got so much of a military investment in Gaza, you can't fight a three-front war. And they came really close to being charged with genocide. Even though they committed genocide. Of course, but he came really close to being charged with genocide. Everybody knows he did it. Everybody knows he did it. Secretary Blinken knows it. United Nations officials like Antonio Guterres, they all know he committed genocide. He got away with it. But he can't continue to remain in Gaza and fight Hezbollah. Because the only way that they can keep fighting Hamas in Gaza is to commit genocide. See, that's, that's where he's stuck. The only way he can remain there and fight is to commit genocide. And he's also under pressure on the hostages, too. Yes. So the, the Israeli citizens are tired. They want the hostages released. So, he, you know, they got protests going on throughout Israel. He's got to cut a deal. So if they're pulling IDF out of Gaza. It's to send them into Lebanon. Right. So what, who are they going to send to Gaza then? Any ideas on that? Well, this, we'll wait and just hang on. Okay. All right, let's, let's walk through this. We all know where Netanyahu's endgame is. It's, it's Iran. Right. He doesn't want to start the war with Iran until he wipes out Hezbollah in Lebanon. And that's going to be a challenge in itself. Hezbollah is not, you know— not the JV team. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Okay, so we're, uh, you're going to see how serious this is getting. So what Netanyahu is doing, with the help of the American military, they have seriously damaged Hamas in Gaza. Hezbollah did not join in the war. Iran did not join in the war. Right. I think the two groups are going to wish that they had. Because the only chance that they had to defeat Israel was if they all went together at one time. Netanyahu gambled that they wouldn't do it. And, and the old fox turned out to be right. 
So Hamas has been severely damaged. He's now turning his guns to Hezbollah. He's going to go into Lebanon and do the same thing to Hezbollah that he did to Hamas. But this time, Israel's going to suffer serious damage. Yes. But he still doesn't. He's gambling that Iran will not come to the defense of Hezbollah because they did not come to the defense of Hamas. It's divide and conquer. Yes. He's rolling the dice. I won on the first one. I'm going to roll the dice again. I'm going to go up against Hezbollah in Lebanon, and I'm going to bet that Iran will not come into this war. But even if Iran does come into the war, that's the opportunity for not just Israel, but the U.S. Of course. To respond. But what they're counting on is to isolate Iran. They wipe out Hamas. They wipe out Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Then they turn their guns to Iran. Who's left to help them? Well, it's not going to be Syria. Syria is still licking its wounds from the war that Barack Obama unleashed on them. Iraq's not going to do anything. Uh, who, who's going to come to the defense? Iran doesn't have a lot of friends. I mean, the Houthis, that's it. So I see that, Doc, where this is going is that very soon the next phase is going to open which is going to be an Israeli bombardment of Hezbollah. Hezbollah has hundreds of thousands of missiles. Hundreds of thousands. This is not going to be a play date. No. It's going to be really bad. But the bad, the really bad one is going to be Israel versus Iran. But the United States is going to be on that one. By that time, we are going to be in the war with them. So... Netanyahu is counting on this. Besides, they know they know ways to do things to have a false flag event to get the United States in. One way or the other, the U.S. is going to be in that war with Israel against Iran. Unless they can isolate Iran so severely that the Iranian leaders just chicken out and are completely afraid to fight. That may happen. And, you know, they may take their pounding and not respond and just say this isn't worth it. But I don't know. We're about to find out. So let's look at what's going on uh, today. All this stuff is today. We'll get down to um, number 11. Number 11, CBS News. Plans for U.S. strikes on Iranian personnel and facilities in Iraq and Syria approved by Joe Biden. CBS News says U.S. officials have confirmed that plans have been approved for a series of strikes over a number of days against targets, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside Iraq and Syria. The strikes will come in response to drone and rocket attacks against U.S. forces. Weather will be a major factor in the timing of the strikes, as the U.S. has the capability to carry out strikes in bad weather, but prefers to have better visibility of selected targets as a safeguard against hitting civilians who might stray into the area at the last moment. Okay, so if CBS has a correct information, which I believe they do, then President Biden has ordered the Pentagon to strike 
Iranian targets in Syria and Iraq. Two countries will be bombed by the United States. Look at number 12, Jerusalem Post. Fearing Israeli assassinations, Iran pulls Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps commanders from Syria. So there are assassination teams moving out from Israel going into the surrounding countries. We saw what they did the other day in a hospital. Yes. They went into a hospital and shot people in the hospital beds. In the West Bank. In the West Bank. In the territory that they control. So, um, if this is correct, then Iran is pulling their commanders out of Syria. Which is weakening the Iranian position. Which is exactly what Israel and the United States want to happen. But remember, the source of that is the Jerusalem Post. It is. Yes, but they they also know about the uh, assassination teams. And it's part of psychological warfare. Right. Next one. Jerusalem Post. Israel's emergency bodies, like their FEMA, warns of potential crisis, extreme war scenario. This is the one I want you to see, folks. Yes. Israeli citizens living in the north part of the country have been warned to prepare for extreme war scenario. Folks, you're not going to hear this anywhere in the United States. Nobody is going to talk about this. Nobody. No, no the talking heads. They're going to talk about Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, and they're going to talk about the Republican primaries, and they're going to talk. It's the clown show. It's just a clown show. And they're not funny clowns either. They're not funny anymore. It's not, they're not entertaining. Friends, this is what I'm looking at. That the Israeli citizens have been told, get ready for an extreme war scenario. And how were they told to repair? Stockpile food and water and be prepared to go without electricity. And this is coming from... Today, from in the Jerusalem FEMA. Post, it, it came from their government agency, which is the equal of FEMA. This is what the uh, Jerusalem Post reported. A document warning of an extreme war scenario in the north part of Israel and recommending preparations for several days of electricity blackouts circulated among Justice Ministry employees on Tuesday. Meanwhile, the Israeli National Emergency Authority urged all government ministries to develop plans for a week-long electricity blackout, (laughs) anticipating a large-scale exercise said to begin in mid-February. Here we go. Folks, you just were given a date. Today is February 1st. What we're hearing out of this Jerusalem newspaper is there's a big war starting sometime around Valentine's Day. Yes. And they're not going to be blowing kisses over to Hezbollah. Now, there's another phrase here, too. It says, similar letters were also sent to directors of geriatric institutions. And they're telling the old people (laughs) to get ready. Well, they're telling the administrators. They're telling the nursing home administrators um, things are going to get bad here. Really bad. You need to be prepared. In the north, 
as part of the anticipated disruptions caused by the war, damage to electricity infrastructure is expected, leading to a potential disaster, stated the Israeli National Emergency Authority document. While hostilities from Hezbollah haven't yet peaked, the document recommended preparing for a few days of upheaval in the country, even without the occurrence of a northern war. The authority directed government ministries to prepare for possible severe damage to infrastructure, suggesting that at least 60% of the population would face an, an electricity cutoff. 60% of the entire population of Israel. Yes. Will be without electricity. In the letter, authorities were reminded that during an electricity blackout, there would be no lighting, heating, or hot water in the streets. Additionally, street lighting and stairwell lighting might also be unavailable. The advanced preparations recommended In the document included emergency lighting, first aid kits, an emergency stock of food and water, and a radio. Folks, I can tell you where you can get food, a water filter, and a shortwave radio. It's American Reserves. That's why this company is a sponsor of True News. We could not find a better sponsor for this newscast than than American Reserves. They're doing exactly what you need. Food, water, radio. Here is American Reserves. I'll be back in a minute. God's people are smarter than ants. Even ants know it's wise to store food. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. I'm Dr. Robert A. Schuler, and I'm on a mission to encourage Christian families to prepare for tough times. That's why I'm endorsing American Reserves. American Reserves can help you build a food storehouse like Joseph in Egypt. American Reserves offers emergency food packages for a month or full year, buckets of freeze-dried beef and chicken, assorted vegetables and fruits, and powdered eggs are ready for quick delivery. A panic can cause store shelves to be emptied in hours. Be wise. Be ready. Order food at AmericanReserves.com. Food, water, a radio. If you don't oh, believe us, believe yeah. the Israelis. The Israeli Emergency Preparedness Agency today told Israelis, stockpile food, stockpile water, and have a radio. Yes. And be ready to be in the dark for a long time. Because a big war is going to start in the middle of February. So we're two weeks away. Will it impact us? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know how fast this thing's going to unravel. We don't know how fast Iran's going to get into the war. Because when Iran gets into the war, the U.S. is going to be in it. And when this happens, things are going to happen here in the USA, on our soil. You can be certain there are 
hundreds, maybe thousands of Iranian sleeper cells in the USA. Absolutely. That they've been here for a long, long time. You have to assume that's the exact case, Rick. And we've been inviting them in by the millions. Yes, crossing the border. Another sign, Doc, that I believe the Hamas war is over in Gaza. This is number 14, Times of Israel. Finance Minister Bezalel Smutrich, head of the Religious Zionism Party, said Zionist settlements in Gaza, that's not part of our our war goals. What changed? Um, this is this is this is why I'm saying something has changed, because he just changed. Yes. I mean, weeks ago you had you have these crackpots like him telling telling Israeli Zionist settlers we're going into Gaza, we're going to build houses, we're going to put up Zionist towns in Gaza. They were they were handing out flyers advertising the real estate that would be available. Yes. Suddenly now today, he's saying, oh, Zionist settlements in Gaza? We never thought about that. (laughs) Somebody told him to shut up. Somebody laid down the law to Smotrich and said, look, buddy, you want to be in this government? You want to continue to have a cabinet seat? You better go with the program. And right now, the program is this. We're switching to We're Hezbollah. switching to a war with Hezbollah. We're done with Hamas. And we're not going in. We're not going in right now and build, building settlements on the rubble of, of Gaza because we almost got branded as genocidal. And don't you think... Mr. Smotrich, it might look genocidal if we go in there right now and start building houses. So somebody laid down the law to him. And I, and I think it's, i got to say, Doc, I, I, to his credit, I think it's Anthony Blinken. I really think the U.S. Secretary of State privately laid down the law to Netanyahu and said, cut off this talk about occupying Gaza. You're not going to do it. At least I, not right now. No, Doc, I'm really starting to think they have – there's a plan coming together here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Mr. Blinken credit that I – it appears that he is holding back Netanyahu from being Netanyahu. I think Netanyahu's days are numbered. It's just a, it's just a question of when they get rid of him. But they're putting a they're putting a leash on him. They're they're putting a muzzle on him, because he's the one who does threaten an all-out nuclear war, because he's so crazy, he's so bloodthirsty, and even uh, even other Zionists know that he's bloodthirsty. So you think the the idea here is that uh, the U.S. has convinced Netanyahu and other members of his team to back off on Gaza, but we'll give yes. you we'll wink wink at you yes. for Hezbollah. And Iran. I believe a deal has been made. And I believe the deal includes Saudi Arabia and Qatar and and other Middle Eastern countries. I believe a deal has been made. This is what we're going to do. I want to walk you through it. It it may turn out I'm wrong, but this is what I see today. So we get down to um, – we've got Smotrich saying 
The goal of the war isn't to strengthen settlements, but rather to bring home the hostages and destroy Hamas. He said this in an interview on Israel Army Radio. So he completely changed his tune and said, hey, the only thing we're trying to do is bring the hostages home and and, and get rid of Hamas. He has been told a deal has been made and you're not in the deal. He wasn't in the meetings. He was excluded. He wasn't he wasn't allowed in the meetings because he would act like an idiot. So the deal's done, and he's been told, shut up. Shut up. The deal's done. And so he's, he's going along with the program right now. There's no point in him. He, he's been told there's no point in even talking about settlements right now. Now, do we have any indications that this change is happening? Yes. Yes. Let's take a look at this. First one, Haratz, number 15. The Biden administration is expected to issue an executive order targeting extremist Israeli settlers in the West Bank. I have to admit, that's not a headline I expected to see. I didn't either. When I first saw it, I thought it meant the White House was going after Palestinians. It isn't. Joe Biden is going to sign an executive order targeting extreme Zionists. Yes, in the West Bank as dangerous, and I don't know what the United States is going to, how, what what uh, classification the U.S. puts on Zionists in the West Bank. Well, there's a lot of U.S. citizens that are there. Yes. And what does that say to them? You've been classified as a terrorist in the eyes of the U.S. government. I mean, most, Look, a lot of the settlers are from hey, the U.S., Look, this 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 is getting close to home with the Christian Zionists. This is getting really close to home now. Are you fomenting trouble in the West Bank? Doc, I believe I'm, I may be too enthusiastic about this, too positive. I believe a deal has been made to establish a Palestinian country in the West Bank and Gaza are going to will not be under the control of Israel. That's what appears to be happening right now. I hope it's happening. I really do. So let me walk. we got 20 okay. minutes to get through this. The next one that leads me to this conclusion, New York Times. And the, the headline, a Biden doctrine for the Middle East is forming, and it's big. So this isn't just about Israel and Gaza anymore. This is about the whole theater there. Yes. So this is a building on, you know, during the Trump years, you had you had Jared Kushner trying to push his plan. Right. The Abraham Accords. It, yes. So now there there is some new doctrine that the Biden administration is pushing. Perhaps they're building on what Kushner was doing, reviving part of it. Uh, the uh, the author of this New York Times article is Thomas Friedman. He is the uh, New York Times foreign, appear, uh, foreign affairs uh, opinion columnist. Uh, he uh, has worked for the newspaper since 1981. Uh, again, primarily Middle Eastern affairs. I'm going to go through this very quickly. He said, there are two things I believe about the widening crisis in the Middle East. 
we are about to see a new Biden strategy to unfold to address this multi-front war involving Gaza, Iran, Israel, and the region. He calls it the Biden Doctrine. He says it will be it will have three tracks. The first track will be a stand against Iran. The second track will be to create a Palestinian state. And he, he emphasized in capital letters now. In capital letters now. It's going to happen now, Doc. The third would be to vastly expand U.S. security alliances with Saudi Arabia to prevent Saudi Arabia from drifting over with China and Russia. And to normalize. And to normalize Saudi relationships with Israel. Mr. Friedman goes on to say that that this plan signals an awareness that the U.S. will never have the global leg- legitimacy of the NATO allies and the Arab Muslims allies that it needs to take on Iran unless we stop letting Netanyahu hold American foreign policy hostage. Doc, I, it's starting to appear that Netanyahu's blood rampage in Gaza has done him in. Doc, I think in in the inner circles of Zionism, you notice how quiet the ADL has been? Very quiet. Nobody's said anything for months. I think they're horrified. I think they're absolutely horrified at what Netanyahu did in Gaza. And they know there's no defense. How do you go out here and defend what he did? Are you going to hold up pictures of blown-up babies and say, it's anti-Semitic to accuse him of war crimes. No, I think, I think a lot of Jews are shocked by what he did. And they've said, we're done with him. He's got to go. And I, it appears that President Biden and top members of his administration have said, there is no other alternative now. You cannot postpone any longer. A Palestinian state. I don't know how they they think that way when they that would mean Hamas won. No, no, Hamas will not be allowed to participate. But still, they Hamas will not be allowed to participate. Hamas will not be allowed to participate. The Palestinian Authority will be given control of Gaza. Mahmoud Abbas will be ruling over Gaza. And the U.S. military and the Saudis and everybody else will enforce it. They're going to recognize a Palestinian state any day. It's coming, any day. And it's going to be occupied by international forces. That's what you're thinking? Yes. There will be international forces in the West Bank and Gaza. Biden is signing an, an executive order against radical Jews in the West Bank. Did you ever think you would hear such a thing? That's why I was shocked at the headline today. So they've come to the conclusion that Netanyahu and his party and and the radical parties that support him, there's more than one than Likud, that they are the problem right now. That they are as big of a problem as Hamas. 
And you, if you're going to get Hamas under control, you've got to get Netanyahu under control. Doc, I think they've already to- told him his, his retirement date. I think, I really believe it's, you know, it's like the board of directors have shown up. Yeah, we're going to let you stay a few more weeks. But your retirement. That way you can clean out your desk and, mm-hmm. you know, take care of any loose Netanyahu's days out. are over. They're, they're over. And I think inside, probably even Mossad is in agreement telling the CIA, we, we can't control Netanyahu. He's out of control. We're going to be in a massive war. The whole, the whole region's going to go up. And, and so they've concluded Netanyahu's got to go. There must be a Palestinian state, and it has to happen now. Not six years from now. Not even a year from now. Now, I want to. This next one's a big one. Number eighteen. This is a, from uh, two days ago. I didn't show it. David David Cameron, the former prime minister. Great Britain is considering recognition of a Palestinian state. And that surprised me on Tuesday too. Which country issued the Balfour Declaration? <laughs> the UK. <laughs> His country is responsible for the Zionist state in existence. Yes. The Balfour Declaration. What he's saying is, we're going to issue a new declaration. And we're going to call for a Palestinian state. So it's coming. Do I have enough time? I don't have enough time to do... We have some in the second hour, too. How much? We have about 10 minutes in the second hour. All right, so I'm going to switch gears from talking about the war. What we've established here is, based on what we have learned today, is it appears that the Israeli troops have left Gaza, that they are headed north, they're going to be redeployed north. There's going to be a big war in the northern part of Israel going into Lebanon to attack Hezbollah. The United States is going to give thumbs up for it, Doc. Because this is part of settling the matter. In other words, first you got to go in and beat up everybody that would oppose the deal. The deal's done. Netanyahu doesn't like it, but he's been told here are the terms of the deal. Take it or leave it. If you if you leave it, you're out. The deal's done. We're giving to you, Netanyahu, the green light to go into Lebanon. But we're going to watch you this time. You're not going to kill babies. It's going to be a real war. It's going to be a real war, and you're not going to be killing babies. But this is going to be a real war. And you're going to be, your people are going to, their lights are going to be cut off, their water, their food. This is going to be a really serious war. But we've got your back. I think this is what the West is saying to Netanyahu. But you're going to play it by our rules. Right. Because our goal, too, is to get rid of Iran. The, the the cookie that they're waving in front of Netanyahu's face is, you do all these things the way we tell you, we will allow you to take out Iran. That's what they're baiting him with. You're going to accept a Palestinian state. If you want to blow up Iran, you're going to allow a Palestinian state. You want to kill... 
Everybody in North in, in Lebanon, you're going to establish a Palestinian state. These are the terms. We're not going to continue this another 10 years. It appears that's what's underway right now. So anyhow, let me switch over really quick. Number 19, Ynet News. Netanyahu wants Jared Kushner to finance an Israeli Fox News channel. Donald Trump's son-in-law is being courted by Bibi Netanyahu to set up a Fox News in Israel. Literally a Fox News, not not just a, a replica of Fox News, because the Murdochs have been summoned, have been summoned. <laughs> and the money is going to come from Jared Kushner. So are we looking at Netanyahu's next career? Yes. Yes. He will be on Fox News in America. He'll be hosting a nighttime show. They'll, oh, Doc, they're going to move him to America. What's his number one job? Propaganda. Yes. They'll move him to America, give him a nighttime primetime show on Fox News. The Christian Zionists will have, they'll just, they'll hyperventilate. Yes. And, and Bibi will get paid $30 million a year to be himself. Okay, wow. so, folks, you're hearing stuff. I can tell it like we tell it. So, Ynet News in Israel is reporting that Netanyahu has been pursuing Jared Kushner to invest in Israeli media and finance a Fox-like right-wing television channel. Netanyahu's office denies the report. Having served as a senior advisor to the present while married to his daughter Ivanka, Kushner is also the owner of of the right-wing New York Observer newspaper, as well as Kushner Properties that operate in New York and New Jersey. He also owns Affinity Partners, a private equity firm based in Miami. The firm has $3 billion in assets under management, largely supported by whom? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. The United Arab Emirates and Qatar, three Muslim nations, are financing Zionist Kushner. How do you explain that, Doc? Money talks. <laughs> According to an official familiar with the matter, Netanyahu has long tried to convince Kushner to invest in Israel's media sector. Now, is there any more to this story? Yes, there is. Yes. Times of Israel, media tycoon Lachlan Murdoch heads to Israel for secret meetings with Netanyahu. Now, for all intents and purposes, Lachlan is running yes. the Murdoch. Yeah, dad's now. gone. I mean, he's in retirement. He's right. living with his latest 29-year-old wife or something. So Lachlan Murdoch is in Israel for secret meetings with Netanyahu. At the same time, Netanyahu is begging Jared Kushner to finance Lachlan Murdoch's Fox News in Israel. Right. And there's more to this story. I got seven more minutes to tell you. Murdoch, the son of Rupert Murdoch, is due to land in Israel on Monday. That's this week. It already happened. 
for a meeting with Netanyahu that was intended to be a secret. Uh, he's also scheduled to meet with Benny Gantz. Murdoch, who took over his father's media empire, departed the U.S. for Israel in a private plane accompanied by an entourage. His schedule is not known. The prime minister's office confirmed Netanyahu's planned meeting with Murdoch. Netanyahu said that the Murdoch family, uh, Netanyahu and the Murdoch family have known each other for many years. That's all you need to know right there. That's all you need to know. Netanyahu and the Murdoch family have known each other for many years. The Hebrew Business Daily, The Marker, reported Netanyahu's advisor, Ner Hafetz, was looking into establishing a television channel in Israel. This is years ago, 2016. goes on talking about the, the history of the Murdochs and Netanyahu. When you watch Fox News, if you watch it, are you aware how much Zionist propaganda is filling your precious little ears? Oh, my goodness. That's one of the reasons I can't watch it. Where do you think Sean Hannity gets his scripts? Why do you think Lindsey Graham gets so much airtime on Fox News to talk about bombing Iran? Why do you think people like Nikki Haley are, are highlighted as rising political stars? Because Fox News is secretly working with Israel. It's been going on for a long, long time. So, Jared Kushner, we already know he's got billions of dollars. Right. Could he be coming into some more money? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I want you to see number, this is number 22. This is Newsweek. Ivanka Trump poised to take over her father's empire. It appears that the judge in the New York trial, where the Trump organization has been convicted of fraud. Right. That the judge is going to take away all of the real estate owned by Donald Trump, ban, ban Donald Trump and Don Jr. and Eric Trump from ever doing business in New York again. Right. And that the judge is going to give everything to little Ivanka and her hubby, Jared. And suddenly, they have billions of dollars worth of real estate that is all theirs. And their family, their father and their brothers, her father and her brothers are cut out. What's her, what is her Hebrew name? Yael. And what does that mean? It's, it's the one in the Bible that drove the stake through. through the guy's skull while he slept in the tent. Yes. What is she about to do to her father? She's about to drive a peg through his head. Mm-hmm. She and little Jared are going to walk off with everything Donald Trump owns. You can't make this stuff up. You just can't make it up. I. Yeah, and here they. This is, you know, she converted to Judaism. Mm-hmm. She had to go through a long process. Like she had to renounce Jesus process. Christ. Right. 
Yeah, she had to do all that. And but what what did they teach their kids? Chinese. Chinese is their first language at home. Mm-hmm. Ivanka's and and Jared, they taught their children Mandarin. Yes. Before they taught them English. Yes. They brought in Mandarin instructors to teach little toddlers how to speak Mandarin. And then when Xi Jinping came over, they sang for him. (laughs) This is what Newsweek said. Ivanka Trump could be the successor to her father's empire if a judge imposes a lifetime real estate ban on the former president this week. Right. Trump and his two eldest sons, Don Jr. and Eric, as well as the Trump Organization, are co-defendants in the $370 million civil fraud trial uh, brought by New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James. She accuses them of inflating the net worth by billions. Eric Chaffee, law professor at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio, said that could leave Ivanka running the empire. Amazing, Doc. And I have a feeling she'll probably keep it in her name and not let Jared have any of it. Because she's pretty if ruthless. she's smart. She's pretty ruthless, okay? So she will be a billionaire, possibly by this week. And Daddy will be a pauper. I, I, people are, I, you know, the, the, the Trump's base, the, the supporters, they have no idea that this is happening. That a judge is going to strip Donald Trump of everything he owns. He's going to be a pulper by the end of the week. If this ruling comes out by tomorrow. Whenever it comes out. If it's this week or next week. Well, you know, they already hit him this week with eighty an eighty an eighty million dollar settlement with the Gene Carroll. The second one. Yes. That's the second one. Because he after the first one, he went out and shot off his mouth and she sued him again and won. And she said she's getting ready to sue him a third time. I mean she's on a roll. So, Mr. Trump will be a pulper uh, by, by the end of, of possibly by tomorrow, early next week, when the judge issues this ruling. Ivanka will own everything. And maybe Netanyahu is aware that the member of the tribe is coming into billions of dollars and he's cutting a deal with the Murdoch family. And the, to open up, and the Kushner family. Yes. Open up Fox News in Israel. BB moves to BB moves to to the United States. Where he used to live. Maybe to Miami. He comes, he experiences the good life. He gets a eight PM primetime spot on on Fox News. He's paid thirty million dollars a year and he spreads Zionist propaganda in America for the next ten years. And the people will love it. I'll be back in a moment. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for watching True News, and um, I, I need to remind you from time to time that True News operates, that we exist on 
the free will giving of the people who watch us. Um, I don't have an Ivanka Trump. I, I, I don't have a Rupert Murdoch anywhere. No in, Jerry Kushner. No Jerry Kushner. There's nobody pumping billions of dollars into True News. We go day to day, week by week, on the donations that are sent by the people like you who watch us. And I humbly, sincerely ask you to give something to True News every month this year of 2024. Do something. Uh, If you didn't do anything in January, hey, send something today and mark it for January, and then later in February, bring in your February gift. Do something that 12 months out of this year, you give a gift to True News. We are working our you-know-what off every day for you. And I'm not whining and crying about it. I, I would. It's what I'm called to do. It's what I'm called to do. But we all work hard. And we're not griping. We're not complaining. We're not begging. We're not doing We're just telling you, we work hard. And we work for you. We work for you. We work for our Heavenly Father. Yes. He's called us. Here's the work I want you to do for me. And you're doing it so that you're a blessing to my people. We're keeping you informed about what is happening in the world and how this can impact you. We're giving you insight into things that are sometimes weeks ahead, months ahead, sometimes years ahead before it happens to give you time to prepare, to give you a heads up so that you're not caught off guard and and shocked and surprised by the things that come upon the world. Uh, when World War III breaks out in full um destruction you will not be someone who says i didn't see this coming nobody told me this was going to happen no you will be saying to others you didn't listen to me i was telling you i was watching true news i was trying to tell you for a long time get ready for world war so we appreciate your gifts and your support yes yesterday afternoon you sent me a link about a a news outlet that that shuttered just within recent days. The oh, messenger. yes. Uh, the Messenger. They weren't around long enough t- for me to even get to know them. I was, a, a, you know, a left-wing group, very professional. The Messenger. They started out one year ago with $50 million in the bank. That's right. And this week, they shut the doors. They they burned through $50 million in one year, Doc, and went broke. A lot of news media organizations are shutting down. Right. That's what I was trying to get across. Or it, severe layoffs. It, this, you know, the information spectrum is a competitive environment, whether it's on the left or the right or whatever it is. So understand that, that there are, there's only so many eyes and ears that can be captured at yes. any given time. So an organization, a, a news organization that was given $50 million startup capital burned through it in one year and went belly up. Here's old true news. We've been around 25 years. It's We're the turtle, okay? Not moving fast. Just kind of inching along, okay? But we're here 25 years. Don't plan to go anywhere. Plan to be here as long as God keeps me breathing. I hope somebody replaces me when I'm gone. We just continue, right? Okay, we're not flamboyant. We're not a. We're not trying to be um, celebrities. We're just trying to be faithful, 
and get up every day and do what we're called to do by God. And we need you to support us. The mailing address is P.O. Box, right there on the screen, P.O. Box 399, Vero Beach, Florida. The zip code is 32961. P.O. Box 399, Vero Beach, Florida, 32961. If you want to call by phone and give your bank card over the phone, the number is 800-576-2116. Of course, the fastest way is to give online or on the app, and that's truenews.com or Faith and Values. You can use the Faith and Values platform also to give. And uh, we, we added a new program to Faith and Values. We haven't mentioned it. Right. J-Slay. Yes. Um, and uh, it's Jeremy Sladen, right? Right. His last name, Jeremy Sladen from Franklin, uh, Tennessee. And we added his program, his podcast, to Faith and Values. So become a member of Faith and Values. Go to faithandvalues.com. And you can do a uh, seven-day free uh, trial. Check it out. See if you like the platform. There's a lot of people, thousands of people there who are forming communities and relationships. So check it out, faithandvalues.com. I've got some updates on the French, not just the French, the the farmer revolt in Europe. Yes. Because it is now spread into Brussels. Started in Germany. Then it went to the Netherlands, then to Poland, then to France, and now it's in Brussels. So we got some videos that we're going to show you. Uh, of um, It's getting pretty radical right now. The, this first one, this is from France. These are uh, tractors uh, moving through France. Still blocking roads, still making their voices heard through the tractor horns, and it's continuing to make an impact. What, but where's Macron? He's out touring Europe, and so now this but is, now is this, this is spread to Brussels. And I've been in that square. I, Have so you? I've been there. Brussels, I love Brussels. One of the most beautiful cities. Uh, so, so this is the uh, site of the European Union. Yes. So they're not just tearing down the EU flags; they have now s- surrounded the EU headquarters. That's right. So because this is really a war between uh, the common people and. The EU. Look it at really this. is. Look at this, Doc. It, yeah. it, now, this is getting serious now. Uh, where is this? This is, once again, in downtown this Brussels. This is Brussels? There's a huge area called the Borals. It's a beautiful garden area. And uh, uh, as you can see now. But they're using the water cannons on them now. That's right. And, and tear sure gas. Are. So uh, the Belgians are getting serious about uh, responding to the farmers here. And this is also downtown Brussels. I've been there. I've been in that square. There, uh, this is where the farmers were throwing eggs at the uh, EU politicians. Yes. So this That's is a good sport. <laughs> yes, uh, you get extra points if you hit one, and so, uh, and again, this—it's hard for me to imagine this scene, ha- having been there in Brussels in this particular uh, area of the city. It's a beautiful area of the city, and uh, to see it right now, basically under siege by. The farmers. Doug, I have a feeling that by next uh, winter, um, the farmers are going to make their way to Davos. I don't don't think the World Economic Forum is going to be allowed to meet next year. There's there's, There's a revolt underway. 
I think the farmers may just take the fight to Davos. That Klaus Schwab and, and all the globalists will not even, they'll not be able to get into Davos. Yeah, they had expected for this to, to die off by now. But it's, in, it's growing. It's increasing. And now you see it in, in, in Belgium, in Brussels. And the, the Belgian people are probably some of the nicest people I've ever met. You, you get Belgians upset. That's like getting the French upset. Uh, and they start doing radical things. So this, is, this isn't a fly-by-night uh, operation here that's going on. This is something that's sustained. Yes. Uh, a couple more stories. We're not going to have time in this segment. Uh, we'll pick this up tomorrow. Um, Doc uh, was telling me today that there, were, there was a meeting yesterday in Washington at the Israeli embassy yes. of high-level, famous American evangelical TV preachers, megachurch pastors. They met at the Israeli embassy in yes. Washington yesterday. For the purpose of crafting a message to respond to what uh, is being said, the rising tide of anti-Semitism among Christians in the U.S. In other words, Israel is losing control of the narrative. Right. The Gaza war has really destroyed their image. And Christians saw the videos. Uh, Not every Christian. A lot of Christians saw the videos of the children who were blown up and burned, mutilated, and said, my God, what, what are we supporting? God can't be behind this. They've lost the narrative. And now they're calling in the chiefs of the evangelical church world and trying to stop the damage. Got to go. Morning manna coming up. Love you so much. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for being uh, the one who has made us and, and saved us from our sins. Father, we humbly request the presence of your Holy Spirit into this Morning Manna Bible class to teach us your word. Feed us today from your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Morning Manna. We're glad that you're here with us. We're in Matthew chapter 3 today. And so if you've got your Bibles, please turn there. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, verses 11 through 15 today. So if you've got your Bibles, read along with us, starting at verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. 
But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. God bless the reading of his word today. Amen. Uh, Verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier, mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist, <coughs> excuse me, his baptism with water was meant to bring about repentance and changing character. It signified a washing away of past sins and a readiness for personal transformation. But John acknowledged the limitations of his baptism. He told the people they needed something more. John informed the crowds that another person was coming who would also baptize them. Now he contrasts his baptism with the one who would come after him, Jesus Christ, emphasizing Jesus's superiority and might. Don acknowledged that the coming Messiah would be greater than himself. He openly declared that his role, John's role, was secondary and subordinate to the one who was soon to arrive. John expressed his humility by acknowledging his unworthiness in comparison to the coming Christ, who would have the authority and power to both save and judge. John said that he was not worthy to perform the lowliest of tasks for the Messiah, such as carrying his sandals. Right. So in those ancient times among both Jews and Greeks and Romans, the act of putting on, taking off, and carrying the sandals of another person was considered the work of the lowliest and most humble slaves. Uh, shoes, when John said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to carry his shoes, is referring to sandals, pieces of wood bound uh, to the soles of the feet with thongs. And it was, it was the duty of the lowest servant to unloose and bind those sandals. So John uses this expression, which was known among the people, to, to emphasize his profound humility, telling them there's somebody coming that is so great that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes and carry them for him. So he's exalting the status of Jesus. John informed the crowds that the Messiah would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. There are different interpretations of the scripture. Mine is this. Doc may have another one, and that's fine. I'd love to hear it. Uh, like I said, there's there's various interpretations. <clears throat> One interpretation is that 
there are two separate um, baptisms, one with Holy Spirit, one with fire. I don't believe that there are two separate baptisms. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, Apostle Paul wrote, There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Yes. I don't see where Paul was teaching multiple baptisms. He said one baptism. So what we have is that the, the Lord's baptism, the one, the baptism that we receive from Jesus Christ, it's one baptism, but it comes with through the Holy Spirit with fire. Right. So the Messiah's baptism would immerse repentant sinners into the presence of the Holy Spirit who would transform their lives with holiness and infuse them with spiritual power. The mention of the fire refers to the fiery character, the, the fiery nature of the Holy Spirit's operations upon the soul, refining, purifying, sanctifying, searching, the Holy Spirit is seen as the agent of the inward transformation and the enlightenment of souls and our, our minds, our hearts. While the, the fire symbolizes the work of purification <clears throat> and the zeal that he imparts to us for Christ. So the Holy Spirit's fire would bring the baptized saints into a brighter, pure state of being in communion with Christ. Now, many early church leaders believe that tribulations and persecutions were part of the fire they received at baptism. Yes. <clears throat> so Jesus' baptism, energized by the Holy Spirit, and with his fire symbolizes the gifts and the graces of the Holy Spirit. His baptism purifies us. And John's promise that he made that day was visibly fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon all who were gathered in the upper room, came upon them as tongues of fire. And that promise continues today for all who believe in Christ with faith. <clears throat> and we get to, to verse 12. Doc, if there's anything you want to add, please. Oh, please. I was just going to say, no, you, you've nailed it because it does, it says very clearly there's one baptism. I'm, you know, I studied a lot of Pentecostal history, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. back in the 20s and 30s, there was a teaching that went through a lot of Pentecostal churches like the Assemblies of God and others, that there was a second baptism, if you will, the yeah. baptism of fire. And that was taught in a lot of churches for a while uh, yes. as, as a separate uh, event or a separate thing away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then have you been baptized with fire yet? And so that was well, you had entire you had entire denominations that were right. created on that, that doctrine. So, but the the real crux of the issue, not only the one faith, one baptism, and everything, but in that phrase, uh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In the Greek, the uh, uh, the conjunction that at that combines the Holy Ghost and with fire combines them as one, not as two separate events. So in the original Greek, if it had meant to say a separate baptism, it would have said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and shall baptize you with fire. So, uh, but yes. in the original Greek, it uh, combines them together as one event yes. or one thought, one process. And so, uh, but you're right. So th that's a great example of how people can take a, a single phrase or a single verse in the scripture and create an elaborate doctrines out of it. And yes. so uh, that's why it's important to have, uh, you know, studies like morning manna and the fellowship together and everything to, as we explore the word, because it keeps you from drifting off into error. And that was a, an error that finally, you know, kind of washed out. But even to this day, there's still denominations that say there there's a separate, uh, baptism of fire and teach with that based just on not understanding a conjunction. <laughs> yes. So what is it that we, what's the main point of verse 11? That there is a, it, it, John was telling the people the Messiah is coming. <clears throat> he has another baptism. You will be baptized again. It is greater than the baptism that you've experienced here with me. And it's one baptism. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's one baptism. It's, it's the baptism of Jesus Christ, and it comes with the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12 He's talking about the Messiah who's coming, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist employs vivid agricultural imagery to convey the nature of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, it describes uh, the imagery of a threshing floor, which was a common agricultural scene in those days. Uh, the threshing floor is a large hardened surface where sheaves of wheat are spread out and oxen would tread on them. And then what was called a winnowing fan was used to separate the wheat from the chaff. The fan was a, a shovel or fork that the, the farmer would throw the grain with the shaft up into the air using that winnowing fork and allowing the wind to blow the lighter chaff away while the heavier wheat fell to the ground. Yes. 
So the winnowing fan was an instrument used to separate wheat from chaff. And it's presented by Jesus. Well, John is, is making this presentation. This is a symbol of the gospel. Absolutely. In this, the threshing floor, I believe, Doc, is the church. The chaff represents the ungodly, uh, the wicked, unbelievers. The wheat, obviously, are the believers, the saints of God. So what do we have here? We've got a threshing floor. We'll say it's the world. Some people say it's the world. Others say it's the church. The wheat are the believers. The chaff are the unbelievers. And the winnowing fan, the fork, that he uses to pick it up and toss it up and separate it is the gospel. Right. And, and the church in the world right now is a mixture of, of the wheat and the chaff. I mean, that that's the way it is right now. Um, it's always been that way. Right. And it goes along with the wheat and tares parable and, and so many other places in Scripture that there's this understanding that the church is not perfect. Uh, at least the church in the world is not perfect, but it's going to be, it's being purged, if you will. Uh, yes. And to me, this uh, illustration, Rick, reminds me of the final day, too, and that there's going to be a, a great purging that day. And isn't it interesting that the wheat gets thrown up in the air? Just like we'll get thrown up in the air as well. And the, hey, remember that vision you had about the ones falling back to earth? Well, that's actually my daughter, Carissa. She had a dream. Yeah, yeah Carissa, about the, uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the final day and people were, mm -hmm. were being uh, taken to, uh, to be with the Lord, but there were some that were falling back. And that reminds me of the, the chaff here in, uh, uh, in this uh, illustration. And so there are other places in the Gospels where that same illustration is used, too. Uh, yes, it's a theme. It's a common theme throughout the, the, the New Testament scriptures. So the wheat and the chaff are mingled together. And as Doc said, this is, this is similar to the parable of the wheat and tares. In the parable of the wheat and tares, the wheat represents believers and the tares represent fake believers, people who appear to be Christians. In Matthew 3, the wheat are believers, but the chaff represents all lost souls who die without Christ. So in this picture, the, the mingled wheat and chaff symbolize the coexistence of the righteous and the wicked. And Jesus Christ is the divine farmer who holds the fan in his hand. And he's ready to bring about a thorough cleansing. Yes. The and, separation process involves gathering the believers, the wheat, into the granary. And I think the granary is, signifies their citizenship in the kingdom of God. 
Simultaneously, the ungodly, the chaff, face a different fate. That is being burned with unquenchable fire. Irreversible judgment. And I had a thought on the unquenchable uh, fire, Rick. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you ever have you ever threshed wheat wheat yourself? Have, have I you ever threshed? Have you ever, yeah. Have you ever actually gone through the process of hand threshing of wheat or seen it yourself? No. All right. So back in Missouri, we have a lot of Amish there, of course, and they still hand thresh wheat up there. And so uh, one day, I was out with my dad, and uh, we we were helping this Amish farmer with his well. And uh, they were out threshing wheat. And so what they would do is exactly like you said. They would throw the wheat up in the air, and the uh, the kernels would fall to the back to the ground, and the straw and the leaves and stuff would uh, flow out, uh, fall out to the side. And they would have a fire there that the wheat would fall into, a small fire, uh, like a line fire, and it burns up quickly. Right. It, I mean, once the, the shaft hits the fire, it burns just instantly because it's dry and it just burns. And I got to thinking about, you know, uh, the chaff burning, it burns quickly. But here it says that that burning of chaff would be unquenchable, that the fire would not stop, that there it would be, go on. It, it wasn't a quick burning. It was an unquenchable right. fire. And there are mm-hmm. people out there that uh, say, well, maybe after death, there's going to be a second chance or something like that, or they're going to get another ap- opportunity for uh, salvation of the gospel. This verse right here just just makes that nil because it says it's unquenchable. That it won't stop burning once the separation is made. It's an irreversible judgment. Yes. There's... The, the phrase thoroughly cleanse his thrashing floor. Think about those words. Thoroughly cleanse his thrashing floor. It, it, it speaks of the completeness of the separation between good and evil. He thoroughly cleanses his floor. Meaning there's not one piece of chaff left over. That's right. It's a pure bride, a pure church that's left over. No, Doc, I never, I I was around, yeah, I grew up in farming area, a lot of Mennonites, not too many Amish. The Amish Amish were north of us in Pennsylvania, but a lot of Mennonites. But no, I never actually participated in in, uh, that process. The only thing I ever did, I think, I was probably fourth or fifth grade. The the farmer next door to us, still remember his uh, his name was Mister Romine. I don't think he had a first name. Um, <laughs> I knew a lot of people like that too. <laughs> all the adults that I remember my childhood, none of them had first names. <laughs> Their first they name were Mister and Mrs. Yes. <laughs> so he was Mister Romine. And he was married to Mrs. Romine. <laughs> and she used to take me to Sunday school. She was a very, very nice woman. She she would uh, she would uh, pick me up uh, at her home and uh, drive me to the Reformed Church 
Sunday school class, you know, when I was a little kid. Um, but one time, Doc, I think I was about fourth or maybe fifth grade, Mr. Romine had about 50 acres of wheat growing next to our house. Right. And I got this idea along, and I got I recruited a buddy um, that we had to we had to create a 50 acre wide maze. All right, like like tunnels, like pathways through the wheat. I mean, it was it was ready for harvest. It was it was fully grown. <clears throat> we spent an entire day stomping down wheat to make to make our pathways through it. And, uh, I mean, it, it stretched over 50. I, Hamas wouldn't be jealous. <laughs> they saw what we did. Right? Um, Mr. Romine was not impressed when he came home that day. Oh, I bet he wasn't. <laughs> he, he was not impressed. I still remember him knocking on the door. And, uh, he never, he never lifted. He never raised his voice. He never got angry. He was, a, he was a very self-controlled man. But he, he, he told my dad, not to let me over there in that wheat field again. <laughs> so, in no one. It was very clear. I was not to go over there again. Okay. So, all right. So the core message. Of course, if it was Doc, you would have burned it down. Um, yeah, Rick, don't give away all my secrets. <laughs> right. So uh, that's the difference between us. I just stomped it down. You would have set it. You would have set the field on fire. Um, <coughs> the, the core message of of this verse is that Jesus will thoroughly cleanse his floor. And if you if you interpret the floor, meaning the church. He will thoroughly cleanse his church from the mixture of wheat and chaff. Yes. The wheat being saved saints, the chaff being the ungodly, the wicked, the hypocrites. And that this purification indicates an eventual separation of genuine believers from those who only have a, a superficial appearance of faith, like the tares. And, and so this symbolizes the ultimate destruction of the wicked as worthless and unprofitable. Man, that is a hard word. Yes. But Jesus tells us later in the gospel, he condemns um, unprofitable servants. In, in the various parables, they're described as, as unprofitable. Of no good to him, and it's it's they're, they're cast into the fire. So I mentioned the fan. The fan is the gospel. It's the tool used by Jesus to separate the righteous and the wicked. You preach the gospel, and you will see the wicked flee. You preach the gospel, and tares will out, out themselves. That's right. The gospel, the gospel separates the righteous from wicked. John the Baptist presents the coming one, 
refers to to him as the coming one, that this coming one will be the chief agent of this process of separation. And of course, the coming one refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus had not appeared on the scene yet. He's telling the, the crowd of the Jordan River, there's a coming one, this one coming, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is proclaiming that Jesus will be the one who is able to distinguish between the righteous and the unrighteous, just as a farmer separates the wheat from the chaff. So it's the, the, the agency of, of separating and judging. We see that process in various parables, such as the net. When the angels bring in the net, the net is the gospel. Right. On the day of the Lord, the gospel is yanked in like, like fishermen pulling in a, a net that's been in the water for a long time. And then the angels separate the good fish from the bad fish. So you see this throughout the Bible, this process of separating and judging. So this is meant to comfort believers by assuring them that they will be gathered into the granary. The granary being the kingdom of God signifying our ultimate salvation and security. But the verse is also a somber warning to all who reject God's grace and all that awaits them is unquenchable fire, irreversible judgment for rejecting the gospel of the kingdom, which I believe is the unpardonable sin. I believe the rejection of Christ is the sin that cannot be forgiven. Right, because it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit that is leading people to Christ. And so, uh, you know, that's sinning against the Holy Spirit, and that can't be forgiven. So that's right. Rick, one other thing to keep in mind here is who is the audience that Paul is direct? I mean, not Paul, but John. Baptist is directing this message to. This is a well, you get Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, and the common people. Well, but he he. This is actually an extension of that uh, presentation that he's making to the Pharisees and Sadducees. That whole passage mm -hmm. there. So he's telling right. them, you know, there's coming a, a purging and a threshing, and there's going to mm -hmm. be some chaff out there that's going to be facing unquenchable fire. I'm talking to you. Pharisees and Sadducees, <laughs> and so yes. uh, we we got to keep that in mind too. Yes, the common people were there too, but uh, this uh, you know this whole message he he's challenging them. Who told you to repent? Who who mm -hmm. is it that that told you this? Let me tell you something. There's coming a, a purging and a threshing and a separation, and some won't make it. Yes, and. They, the Pharisees and Sadducees knew that John was inferring that they were the chaff. Yes. Who were going to be separated. 
so verses 13 through 15, uh, I won't be able to get through all of it. Uh, I'll pick this up tomorrow. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. But John would have hindered him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, allow it now, for this is fitting. This is the fitting way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him. So Jesus, we all know, Jesus was sinless. He had no need for repentance or forgiveness. He had no need to be baptized. Remember, John was baptizing people unto repentance. He was crying out to them, repent and be baptized. Jesus walks from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized. But Jesus was sinless. There was no reason for Jesus to be baptized. Why? What was the purpose of it? One of my favorite pastors of old times, G. Campbell Morgan, said, the life of Jesus was absolutely sinless. If he were not sinless, then we have no gospel. All the value of his dying depends upon the virtue of his living. So the question is, why did Jesus go to John the Baptist to be baptized? If he was sinless, how could he repent of sins he never committed? There were no sins that needed to be washed away in the Jordan River. What was the point in submitting to John's ministry of baptism unto repentance? So, you know, as we read, John was, was very reluctant to baptize Jesus. He looked at Jesus and said, you're coming to me to be baptized? You, you, you should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to even untie your shoes and carry them for you. But Jesus said to him, Jesus looked at John and said, John, allow it for now. Just do this. Trust me, John. You need to baptize me. This is the right way to fulfill all righteousness. Yes. Verse 15 says, then John allowed Jesus to come into the water to be baptized. So once again, I ask the question, how do we explain the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River? Why would Jesus say he had to be baptized? Jesus explained to John that baptizing him, the Messiah, would fulfill all righteousness. That's the answer. Well, what does that mean? The most important thing for us to know about the baptism of Jesus is that the Savior of sinners ident identified himself with the sinners he came to save. There you go. 
In other words, Jesus got down on our level. The God-man who had no sins to repent of took his place among the men and women whose lives were sinful. The sinless shepherd went down into the Jordan River to show the sinful sheep the way to be cleansed. He's a teacher. He's a shepherd. He's demonstrating to the sinners, this is what you must do. I'm going to lead the way. Follow me. Jesus told John to baptize him to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what needed to be fulfilled? We can see it in Isaiah 53. Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah. Remember, Isaiah lived centuries, many centuries before Jesus was born on earth. But God allowed Isaiah to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw him high and lifted up. This is what he said in chapter 53. Therefore, I will give him. Now, this is God speaking about the Messiah he would send. He's speaking it through Isaiah. Therefore, I, God, the Father, will give him, Jesus, a portion with the great. He, meaning Jesus, will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was counted with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The reason Jesus was baptized is this. He was counted with the transgressors. That's the reason. Jesus is our shepherd. He shows us the way. Our sinless Lord demonstrated to us our need to be baptized after we repent of our sins and believe in his name for salvation. Jesus, his baptism, was the teacher showing the students what they must do. He identified himself with the sinners he came to save. So through his baptism, Jesus identified with humanity and showed his solidarity with sinful humanity. He joined the crowds of repentant sinners who came to John for baptism, even though Jesus had no sins to repent of. And so we we see this <clears throat> we see this theme throughout the life of Jesus. His miraculous incarnation and birth and his death on the cross. All of it is the king of glory identifying with the humans that he was sent to lead and govern. Yes. He's the king who gets down on our level. He, he knows everything you, you're going through. He has experienced all the temptations, all the pains, everything that you and I 
go through in life. Jesus went through it too. In one way or the other, he knows what you're going through. Because he's a king who gets down on our level. He gets his hands dirty with the people working. Yes. He, he's, he's, he's a working man's king. He's not a king that you can't approach. He's not a king who doesn't know what you feel. He, 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 he's felt all of our pains. He has dealt with all of our temptations. Yes. And because of that, he, he teaches us the way we must go. And the very first thing he did, this is the first thing that he did. The first thing he did was to go down into the river, Jordan, and demonstrate to sinners how our sins are washed away. As Jesus identifies with us, we too identify with him when we are baptized. When we are immersed in water, it symbolizes our identity with Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So he identifies with us, saying, I understand your life, I understand your pain, I understand the temptations, I understand all that you're going through. But when we go into the water following our teacher, we say, we identify with you, your death, your burial, your resurrection. So, Doc, I'll stop there. We'll pick it up tomorrow. Right. And um, we'll continue. Any any other thoughts, Doc? No, just that theme of the identify, identification of Jesus with the sinner. One, I'm thinking of one uh uh, example, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he said that the Son of Man would be uh, lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. And mm -hmm. the serpent was rep representing the sin of the people uh, that, you know, they were going through a plague. Moses lifted up his staff with the serpent on it, and all who looked on it uh, were saved from the plague. And yes. Jesus made a direct connection to that, saying the Son of Man is like that that the Son of Man will be lifted up. So he's saying he would be identified with sin as well. So there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of parallels in the Gospels that, you know, help us to understand what, what, why was Jesus doing this? What was the identification that he was making there? And obviously yes. the Father was pleased with Jesus being baptized in the water uh, uh, by John because immediately afterwards, that's when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus uh, like a dove, and the father spoke from front. This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. And so, yes. Uh, so there's a uh, just a couple of thoughts I had there. But all right, well, yeah, we and, then, and then you know, Doc, the other day we talked about um, <clears throat> Jesus as a carpenter. Okay, uh, we we were talking, you know, and again, I go back to uh, <clears throat> G. Campbell Morgan, and he wrote that wonderful little book, The Hidden Years. Where was Jesus, you know, prior to his arrival with John the Baptist? What was he doing? There's hardly anything in the Bible about it. 
and he points out two verses <clears throat> that he was identified as the son of a carpenter. Aren't you the carpenter's son? And and then God saying, God the Father saying <clears throat> that this was his son who was pleasing to him. Yes. And Campbell Morgan said, the only thing you need to know about all those hidden years is that Jesus was a carpenter who pleased his father. Yes. Okay. And the point we're making is Jesus identified with us by doing common work. That's right. He was a man. He was a, by all. He made a living with his hands. Yes. He got up every day and went to work. And he didn't have a job. He didn't have, a, I mean, he didn't have a, a, a job, a position, a title that, that earned him fame and greatness in his work, in his vocation. He was a carpenter. He made things. Let's talk about what he made. Some people believe he made yokes and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't Whatever matter. Whatever he made, it was good. It was the best. It was the best. But the point is, he identified with the people. Can you can you imagine Jesus in the morning, throughout the day, Doc, working in his in his workshop? He's got his tools. He's, you know, um, <laughs> did he ever cut his hands? Did he ever hit his thumb? You know, did he ever did he ever twist, you know, his thumb between some pieces of wood? He was trying to make something with it. You know, it was everyday work. Right. Just like you and me. He got tired. He was physically weary. He had splinters in his hands. You know, he got hungry. He had to take a break. Uh, sometimes he just had to sit down. He was out in the sun, just had to go sit down under a tree, drink some water. I mean, he was a regular man. He identified with the humans that he made. He made us, and yet he became one of us. That's the most wonderful part of, of the story. The God who made us became one of us. Yes. To find out what it to be a human on earth, in a sinful body. Right. Except he didn't have sin, but he found out what it was like to be in a body. This is, it's, it just amazes me. Yes. And not only was he just an ordinary man that worked with, or, you know, ordinary elements, wood, uh, metal, uh, you know, uh, but he also knew the word too. And the word wasn't simply just downloaded into him. He learned the word. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through his sufferings. That's a fascinating scripture, isn't it? That Jesus mm -hmm. learned obedience through his sufferings, through the life that he lived. He learned yes. it. And that's And yet he was the word. Yes. Yes, it's just fast. He was the word. In the beginning was the word, and yet when he came to earth in the human body, he had to obey the word. And how did he learn to obey the word through his sufferings? Right. So he identifies he identifies with us. 
Because we, oh, believe me, we learn to obey through our sufferings. You should. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you don't, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You'll suffer some more right? right. until you learn. That's right. Okay, Doc. Yes. All right. We're going to wrap it up. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us today for this edition of Morning Manor. We want to remind you on Fridays, which is tomorrow, uh, we have uh, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. So we invite you, if you're a confessing believer in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized in water following Jesus' example, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, we invite you to participate in communion with us tomorrow. I have ready uh, bread and either grape juice or red wine to join us for that. So we invite you to participate in uh, Holy Communion tomorrow as well. And as always, uh, be sure to let others know about uh, uh, faith and values and especially morning manna. Uh, we're live each weekday morning at 8 a.m. on faith and values. And so if you're hearing us at a different time of day, then we encourage you to join faith and values and you can listen to all the uh, uh, previous editions of Morning Manna, and you can get caught up with us too. And so, Rick, any final words before we sign off for today? No, sure. That's it for today. All right. God bless everyone, and we'll see you on the Friday edition of Morning Manna. We love you. Welcome back. Uh, final segment here of True News today. The folks over at, at uh, American Reserves recently told us that one of the I would say the top three questions asked by True News listeners or viewers contacting American Reserves is, how do you operate a shortwave radio? Yes. I was surprised how many people, they said, are contacting them asking for information about shortwave radios. Doc, you've got uh, the top product that's on the American Reserves uh, website? I sure do. Uh, this is the uh, PL880 and uh, so let you see it there. I actually have it tuned into one of our frequencies. The uh, frequency there that you see on the screen is the evening frequency. Uh, our daytime frequency is uh, 12.160 and if I walk right outside this building True News comes in loud and clear. Yes, it's and it's coming from Nashville. We're in Florida. Yes. And you would think it's... Uh, well, it actually comes in stronger than some local AM stations. That, that's absolutely true. It really, really does. We selected this particular radio because of its simplicity of use. It's basically, you know, we've made it so easy that you or your pet monkey could operate it, basically. If you know the frequencies, it's as easy as plugging the frequency numbers in on the shortwave bands, and you're off to the races. And so and if you could train your monkey to do it, he could do it too. So, uh, But this is very simple to use. It's a great radio. I recommend it. Uh, I did a, a Monday this week, I did a shortwave basics class on Ask Doc. And so if you want to go on Faith and Values and watch that, I walked through the entire, uh, you know, uh, program on the, the radio and how to operate it, how to mm -hmm. set up frequencies and everything. So I love it. It's a great radio. one. It's a great yeah. radio. I've, I've, I've had this model for a long, long time. I use it at my home. AmericanReserves.com. You can get your shortwave radio. Got to go. See you tomorrow. listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.